0: Unicorns, they're supposed to be rare, but they seem to be everywhere. Now, like you, I suspect, I devour business and marketing books, but if you noticed, more and more of them use the same reference material, and they retrofit the strategies and tactics they're espousing to unicorns. Well, you know what? I'm bored of reading about unicorns. So what if Amazon thinks back to front? Why is it relevant to me that Steve Jobs started with why? Google, Facebook, Netflix, those guys, you know, it's not where I live professionally and it doesn't inform my future. So I thought, why don't I do something about it? Why not create a body of reference material that ordinary marketers like me can contribute to and learn from? And that is Unicorny. Hey, peoples, welcome to the very first episode of the very first season of Unicorny. This is a podcast by marketers for marketers. You get the gist, you probably listened to the intro. And if you didn't, just wind back and play it again. Now, God, have we got a treat for you today? I'm joined in the studio today by my co-host, Dafina Gracipenny. She is from Green Target, and you can find them at greentarget.co.uk. Now, I had to bring Dafina in today because I needed specialist financial expertise, and there is no finer financial expertise than resides in Green Target. Because today's guest is Valentina Christensen, who is Director of Growth and Communications at Oak North. I'm not going to tell you who Oak North is. I'm going to let Valentina do that herself because she tells the story really, really well. But if you're in, in uh, communications or marketing, or if you're leading a company that is scaling quickly, or if you want to understand how to build and exploit reputation, don't go anywhere. This is pure gold. Hi, Valentina.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: So why don't we start? um, Oak North has been an amazing story, um, but bizarrely not everybody knows about it. So why don't you start, please, by telling us the story of Oak North?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So Oak North was founded by uh, two entrepreneurs, Rishi Kozler and Joel Palman. And uh, the idea was really born out of the experience they'd had with their first business, Copal. Uh, They started that business in 2002, and by 2005 it was profitable, it had very good cash flow, Great list of clients um, so they were looking for a loan to help them grow and they kept getting the same sort of computer says no response from all of the high street banks here in the uk um, then fortunately over the next 12 months they managed to get a dividend recap from the special situations desk of one of their us clients and um, they were able to go on to scale that business to three thousand people across 13 markets and they sold it to moody's corporation in 2014. but it was really that experience which i guess planted the seed uh, of of the idea for Oak North. So once they'd exited that business, COPAL, they, they said, right, this is the this is the problem we want to solve, um, that, that funding gap. And we call that funding gap the missing middle. So these are businesses which are distinct from startups, they're more scale-ups, businesses with a proven, productive, profitable business model um, that are looking for for debt finance to kind of take them to the next level. And the challenge you have in the market at the moment and really what's been a challenge for the last 30 years or so is that a lot of the investment in technology has been at the much smaller end of the scale. Um, so either loans, you know, for you and me to go and apply for a credit card online in a matter of minutes uh, or for very small business loans. So, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, uh, maybe up to a quarter of a million pounds uh, max. Um, but once you kind of get into the half million up to even a 100 million, um, that's where it, it sort of becomes un- uneconomical for the uh, the large banks to um, to do the underwriting of the loan and to actually take the time to understand the business in detail. Uh, you know, The reality is that the amount of time you have to, to do in terms of credit underwriting for a loan of 1 million is the same as you'd have to do for a loan of 100 million. So it's not that you can't get a loan. It's just that you're not going to be the priority. And if you're a growing business, a fast growing business, you know, the opportunity cost of having to wait several months to get an answer, especially if it ends up being a no, um, can be pretty high. So this was really, uh, you know, the, the problem that, uh, that Rishi and Joel were trying to solve. Um, and they figured, you know, the, the answer probably lay in technology and being able to, you know, accumulate all of that data, um, and be able to analyze the data very, very quickly, but having a human involved in the process where, where needed. So it's not a fully automated process. Um, and certainly at this size, you know, of loan, the sort of correct balance between the human, you know, man or woman and machine, uh, is very important, um, so that was really uh, you know, the premise of it. Um, they they developed technology. We call it the the on-credit intelligence suite. Um, we've used that to uh, lend via our own balance sheet here in the UK. So Oak North Bank launched in uh, September 2015, got its uh, provisional license in March 2015. I started working with Rishi and Joel in June 2015. Um, and then, yeah, we, we managed to, to launch fully in uh, that autumn. Um, since then, Oak North Bank has gone on to lend several billion pounds. Um, it's, it's highly profitable. It's been profitable since year one. Lent to hundreds of businesses across the UK um, who have directly gone on to, to create tens of thousands of new homes and jobs. And then the technology, we're now licensing that to other banks around the world. So public clients include SMBC, ABN AMRO, uh, Capital One, Fifth Third, PNC. That's just a, a few of the names there.
2: That's a fascinating story, especially given the context. And obviously, the last few years have seen the emergence of neobanks, digital banks. You've also seen some of the more traditional banks up their game in terms of digitization, but also investment in technology. So I'm just curious to know, especially in this competitive environment, how have you managed to build a differentiating identity? And what have been some of the major challenges that you've encountered along the way?
1: Sure. So I think kind of to answer the first question in terms of know, building a, a distinct identity. I think the fact that Oak North Bank is very focused on a specific market niche, right? We're not trying to be all things to all people. Um, you know, we don't we're not trying to fix the current account problem. Um, you know, this is this is a challenge that, as I say, Rishi and Joel, our founders, personally experienced. So they they knew there was a gap in the market. And um, that's obviously been um uh you know been proven through through the success that Oak North Bank has had to date um, and the demand for 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 lending that it's had. Or that it's seen, um, so I think that's part of it. The fact that you know we're not trying to, um, you know, you mentioned. I mean, so Monzo, Starling, um, you know, Revolut, fine, not it doesn't have a banking license, but one of those new entrants, um, you know, and they've they've sort of come to market with a very broad uh, proposition in terms of um, products, um, and I think we sort of said actually we'll go really really deep in this particular area and make sure that whatever we're offering is 10x better than what what you can get. Um, you know elsewhere versus trying to to sort of um, spread ourselves you know much more widely and then potentially you know offer products and services that are incrementally better um so that was really the the focus and as I say it's um it's yielded good results uh, you know so far um you know I think in terms of the you know the growth of the business um you know very much at the beginning it was it was focused on you know getting that uh, that foundation in place in terms of the brand so the narrative, the messaging, what are the core messages. And, and at Ognoff Bank, it's speed, flexibility, transparency, and an entrepreneurial approach. Those are the, the key things that really def- differentiate us versus getting a loan um, somewhere else. But it's also that you've got to have um, you know, a promise that actually, uh, you've got to, if you're going to say it, you've got to make sure that you live up to the promise. So um, it can't just be marketing for the sake of it. Otherwise, you potentially spend lots of money and time and resource going out, getting people to come to you, only for them to realize that actually what you're offering isn't isn't quite uh, what you what they were promised, so um a big part of it is making sure that you deliver on that promise and as a result you know we've we spent very little on marketing um you know so uh up until really last year and and really second half of last year um everything in terms of brand building was driven primarily by p r and communications um in terms of above the line spend probably about sixty thousand pounds per year so um you know, that's, that's incredibly low for a business that is, uh, you know, of, of Oak North's size. Um, and, and certainly that's very different to, to some of those new players, um, you know, that have come to market.
2: Exactly. And I think another aspect that makes Oak North unique, from what I can tell, is that the business is also profitable unlike many of the other new entrants who are spending a lot in their marketing and a lot of and attracting a lot of funding, but they're still to turn a profit. So I'm interested in how do you navigate that from a comms perspective?
1: Yeah, so I think um, profits are very unsexy, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, and it's sort of that um, that Silicon Valley mantra, right, of, um, you know, growth at all costs and that if if you if you're not, uh, you know, if you are profitable, then you must be you must be sacrificing growth. I think our our philosophy is that um, you know the two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, you know, OpenNorth has seen across every metric that you could possibly measure, dib- double or triple digit growth every year, um, and that includes in our profits. Right? So, um, you know, last year pre-tax profit of um, seventy-seven, or post-tax profits, I should say, actually of seventy-seven point six million. Um, so, so you know, that's that's a uh, you know that's that's pretty good for a business that's been trading at the time for about five years. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of the the narrative, I mean, you know, you could be as much a fintech darling by being profitable <laughs> versus if you're not, um, you know, the media will probably, um, you know, criticize you for not growing fast enough if you're, you know, if you're highly profitable, um, you know, but they could equally criticize you if you're, if you, you know, haven't yet got a proven business model. Um, but I think from our perspective, you know, our customers don't really care if we're profitable or not. Um, you know, they they care about the service that we're giving to them. So that's always the the focus for us. We don't try you know don't get hung up on things like valuation. It's about the value that you're delivering um you know and whether you're making a difference to those customers and and unfortunately, you know that doesn't make uh, the headlines all the time but um you know I think uh you know talking about um the the brand no everyone's you know not head of Oak North Bank, but that's also because we don't want everyone to hear about Oak North Bank because not everyone is our potential customer um There'd be no point in us doing a an expensive tube advert because. I'm not trying to target, you know, the average, uh, the average consumer. I'm not trying to target small businesses. There's a very specific niche of business, right? The missing middle. Um, so that requires, a, you know, a, a much more detailed focus and, and sort of finding the places where these individuals and these businesses are meeting and then going and, and, um, you know, making sure that they're getting the right messages rather than a broad approach.
0: That's really interesting, Valentina. I think you know, so look, I've come across the Oak North brand personally, I think probably in two or three different corporate financial advisory firms that we've been working with. So you've obviously spent some time talking to channel effectively, or at least working out some kind of distribution. In terms of your own strategy, your growth strategy, how do you think you're differentiating from from some of the other players out there? Are you consciously targeting channel as a, as a deliberate ploy to grow?
1: So I think it depends. I mean, a lot of it's been... Um quite organic. It's sort of, you know, you, you have a a meeting with an accountant or corporate advisor, a lawyer, and then they send, you know, a business your way. Um, and that just happens, as I say, completely organically. And then maybe that turns out to be, you know, a really good deal and you end up lending to that customer. And then the lawyer or the accountant or the corporate advisor sends you another one and you start to see, okay, these are the individuals and these are the firms, um, whose client lists seem to be very well aligned with ours. Um, But we're not sort of, we don't take sort of an exclusive approach of these are the only, um, you know, the only individuals that we'll work with or or to get advice from. Um, But I think then it's, you know, you've got to make sure that you're nurturing those relationships. Um, And, you know, we do, again, using those those channels, you know, a lot of events throughout the year where we get to build the relationships with them, develop them, um, you know, Allow them to to meet some of our clients and sort of hear from them um, firsthand, hear about their experience, Um, so that they again know that it's not marketing for the sake of it, but that we're really delivering on that promise. Um, You know, so many so many businesses, you know, they spend so much money on marketing, and then people come in and the product or the service isn't uh, you know doesn't meet expectations. I would much rather (laughs) that we spend very little on marketing, um, but that the product and services speak for itself, and you know. Two-thirds of our qualified um, pipeline comes from customer referrals. Um, almost two-thirds of our existing customers are repeat customers. And that's quite surprising considering that average term of a loan is about three years, right? So those customers who, you know, borrowed from us in the very early days, coming back, um, you know, three, four years later uh, to borrow again because the experience is just so much better than anything they can get um, from their their clearing bank. And also the fact that, you know, again, going back to the focus, You know, we don't we don't have a caveat. If you're going to borrow from us, then in six months' time, you have to switch to us and make us your current account provider. All your cash flow has to come through us. You know, from a an FD or a a CFO's perspective, that's a headache that you're saving them, right? That they don't have to have, um, you know, that that caveat um as part of their loan.
0: I mean, I guess as well from a CFO's point of view, when particularly when you're talking about high street lenders. There's availability, which there isn't on the high street, because most high street banks have completely withdrawn from supporting the, the missing middle, as you call it.
1: Yeah, and I think actually it's really interesting because, you know, you think about Oak North Bank's journey to date. So, you know, we, we launched in September 2015. Then nine months later, the UK made an unprecedented decision to um, to leave the EU. Um, and then obviously in March 2020, um, an unprecedented event Um occurred well it sort of had reached UK shores I should say by that point Um, you know so we've in our very short history been you know experienced not one but two unprecedented events and have continued to to grow and to lend through those and in some ways you know that's actually been um, an opportunity for us to to potentially gain more market share than we otherwise would have I mean certainly in the six months following the referendum vote uh, you know we saw a huge peak um, in in demand and this is you know less than a year after launching, right? So our, our brand wasn't wasn't where it is today. And we saw our loan book triple in size, um, you know, which is just not something that we would have expected, um, especially not in that period. But it's because, as you mentioned, you know, the other banks were retrenching. And that was, again, what we saw in the immediate months following the uh, COVID lockdowns, you know, a retrenchment from the market, which again, gave us gave us an opportunity to really step up to the plate and support those customers.
2: Let's dig deeper into customer acquisition, which, as we know, is very costly in finance. You've done an impressive job in terms of growing that organically through the referral network and so forth. And I was wondering, well, how do you see this trend continuing for Oak North? How do you plan to continue to grow and build scale beyond the referral network? And I suppose, what role do you see PR and marketing playing in that?
1: Yeah, so I think that's uh, you really hit the nail on the head there because it's it's not scalable, right? I think... If you're a startup and you, you have limited marketing budget or resource, then you know, my advice would be to you know, to get the PR and comms, um, you know, to, to, to make that where you, where you invest, because that gives you the opportunity to experiment, you know, to get that messaging really, really clear, to get the narrative really clear, to get third-party endorsement, which can help drive um, lead generation. And then once you're at a point where you know, right, this is exactly our customer, and we know that these are the messages that resonate, then you can start to put the marketing dollars behind it. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, a big part of, of our strategy now that we've sort of, I mean, we're coming into the, the sixth year here, um, is, is investing in marketing. Um, so we hired a fantastic marketing director, uh, last year, a guy called Hugo Souza, um, and, uh, you may have read that in December, we, we, um, acquired fluidly, um, pending regulatory approval. Um, and that's about 50 people and a, a good, uh, a good chunk of the, the team are focused on marketing. So. You know, we'll now have um, you know a, a much bigger in-house team who can help with you know our content, marketing, um, social media, uh, events, and and in a way that is you know you've got I suppose teams of people who can do this rather than um, you know sort of a jack of all trades um, more ad hoc approach, which I think is um, definitely very fun and um, and and can scale in those first few years, but then once you reach a certain Point in your journey, um, you know it is. You do need to actually put some some proper money behind it and and uh, and resource in terms of of team. So that's really the focus uh, going forward. Is is we've managed to achieve so much with so little. So now let's see what we can achieve when we actually put some um, some money and resource behind it. And we talked about
2: the banking business, um, but you also mentioned that there's a tech side to the business, which is kind of a credit intelligence offering. And I just wonder, how do you reconcile competing with banks, especially over here in the u k versus acting as a tech provider to banks?
1: So I think it's the fact that we're we have our own bank in the u k is a huge competitive advantage. If you think about every other software as a service provider that will be selling to banks, you know they don't speak the same language. you know they they may have people on their team who used to work at a bank, but we do it every single day, right? I mean, when you think about going through Covid and having to, identify where that risk is in your commercial loan book and prioritizing in the right order we can say all of that we can explain our process and we can build that into the product and we can do it you know with the with the exact same real life experience that all of our bank customers are going through um on the point of you know competition i think the fact is that uh you know here in the uk we, we don't sell the product to to uk banks so the product is being sold outside of the uk so so here you know we, we're not sort of um, eating our own lunch, uh, as as it were, um, and I think you know, as I say, I mean, um, speaking the same language is something that a number of those bank customers have said, you know, is is completely different to to other SaaS providers who who come to them. Um, and you know, I think think looking ahead, the next big um, you know unprecedented event that we're all experiencing is climate change, right? And and for banks to understand where the risk is in their book, both in terms of physical and transition risk. We're having to do that, you know, talk about disclosures, talk about scope one, two, three emissions within our own bank in the UK, and then um, having those conversations and building that into the product, um, the credit intelligence suite um, for those conversations with bank partners around the world.
2: That's a very good point, because you have your own bank, you have the incentive to innovate the product. And unlike a vendor who will sell you an off the shelf product, and you're actually investing in your own product and improving it continuously. So presumably, your white label partners benefit from all of that innovation as well.
1: Completely, I think you know. I mean, software is never is never finished, right? So you're always developing, you're always iterating. Um, you know, and we we're very very fortunate to work with some incredibly forward thinking banks, right? Um, I mean, Capital One, Fifth Third, um, Old National, Customers Bank. I mean, these are these are banks that um, you know are, are willing to kind of be first movers um, and are willing to sort of give us very honest feedback about the product, you know, what needs to be changed, what needs to be improved. And I think, you know, um, that's again where the the business model is quite unique because, you know, we're not just a bank across the group. We've obviously got, um, you know, the enterprise software, which, um, you know, is where eventually, you know, the majority of the scale will come from uh, because you're talking about banks around the world. Uh, Whereas at least for the time being, uh, you know, Open Bank is very much a UK uh, focused bank.
0: Presumably because you've got that dual focus, I would imagine you've got a pretty big data set around commercial lending globally.
1: Yes. So, I mean, Oak uh, North, um, across the group, now we have about 365 billion of uh, commercial and industrial data. So, you know, that's more than JP Morgan. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we obviously have ambition to to increase that number exponentially over the years. So, um, you know, that is that's really from from some of the banks that we're that we're working with, right? Um, you know, we've got uh, a huge amount of data um that's that's not only incredibly helpful for, you know, what what we do within Oak North Bank, um, you know, understanding how different businesses will react to to different events. And I think, you know, you take an example of uh, COVID, you know, so many so many banks take the approach of lumping businesses into one of, let's say, a dozen categories, right? So Restaurants, hotels, um, they'll fall under, you know, hospitality and leisure. Um, And the reality is that, you know, you have to go many, many levels deeper, right? I mean, if you split that up, you're going to have hotels. And under that, there's going to be boutique hotels and, um, you know, uh, airport hotels and hotels that are in conference centers. If you talk about leisure, you're going to have to split that out into, you know, all the different types of activities that you might do. And then, you know, let's take an example of, um, you know, uh, golf versus indoor climbing, right? So I think about indoor climbing, you know, you go to Vauxhall. Um, if you think during the pandemic, um, you wouldn't have been able to, to go and, and do that, right? Because it's not exactly um, great for social distancing. It's indoors. Everyone's touching the same, uh, the same things. Um, so, you know, likely would have had a very different experience to, you know, uh, a golf club, which is outdoors, which definitely lends itself to social distancing where you're bringing your own clubs um you know so so would have had a very different experience but they're still qu- classified as leisure businesses. um. so you the fact is that you know you have to look at each business on its individual merit in order to build a proper credit profile a like proper credit picture and and take a forward look view, right so forget about where a business has been or where it is today because the fact is you're not getting your money back in the past you're gonna you're gonna get your money back in the future so, you need to be taking a, a forward look for you. And that's something that we, we build into the product so that we can do it within our own bank, but also help other banks around the world to do it.
0: Okay, I, I'm, I'm keen to go back in time again, because this is ostensibly a show about marketing and communications. But I'm so fascinated by the story and, this, um, and where you are and, and how you as a business are thinking. So you've got this data set. You've got the ability to do things others can't because you've got the data, because your technology is in the cloud, you've got no legacy systems whatsoever. That obviously is going to drive your own lending business in the UK. Is Oak North going to lend overseas, or is software very much the focus for you overseas in the future?
1: So I think, and this, I guess, goes back to your, your question about sort of competition you know, versus um, collaboration. I think you know, the fact is that a lot of the banks that we work with have stood the test of time, right? They've They've been around for hundreds of years, and there's probably a reason why. And I don't think that's because, you know, there's, they've never had any competition or that, um, you know, nothing better has come to market. I think it's actually because they're incredibly um, good at adapting and evolving. And when they see that someone is coming to steal their lunch, they, they put in, you know, they throw the kitchen sink at it to try and make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and, you know, they, they, the reality is that a lot of these banks have exceptionally good relationships um, with customers. It's just that, as you say, with the legacy technology you know, there's definitely a desire to service these customers better. It's just um very difficult to do that. And it's, it is much more slow moving. Um, so arming them with the tools to do that effectively is is actually, uh, you know, in our view, is, is, is a much better approach than trying to go to every single market around the world, trying to get a banking license in every single market, uh, trying to build a team and a marketing function and a board and deal with the regulators, you know, build. Getting one banking license was uh, was a big enough challenge. Um, so trying to do that in multiple markets, and I mean, you've seen this right with a number of the, the neobanks that uh, that you referred to, and that's not just in the UK. These are these are other neobanks in in other European markets who have you know gone into a market and then pulled out right um, several months later because they realize actually it's incredibly difficult to do. Now, for the moment, that's not impacting valuations because hopefully they can find the growth elsewhere and they can diversify the product offering. But again, our focus is very much on the UK. Um, you know, we really want to, you know, be the go-to uh, bank. If you're look, if you're a missing middle, you know, business looking for a loan, we really want to be, you know, the the main choice that you'd go for. Um, and that's not by being the cheapest. It's just by by really being the best. Um, and then outside of the UK, helping other banks to address the that funding gap in their own markets, using technology to do it much more efficiently and much more profitably.
0: Okay as this is a marketing show we've talked about pro- we've talked a lot about product which is which is really fascinating we've talked about positioning we've talked about placement we've just mentioned price I'm just going to come back to that very quickly before we go back in time how price sensitive is the missing middle
1: surprisingly not uh that price sensitive at all. I mean, again, I think it's 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 about, you know, valuing the time. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the opportunity cost of having to wait several months for an answer is potentially much more expensive than, you know, one or two percentage points more in terms of rate. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, we sort of figured, you know what, trying to be the cheapest in the market, someone can always come in and undercut you. That shouldn't be how you differentiate yourself. You should differentiate yourself with, you know, a product that's much better. And I don't think there's there's a brand out there that's proven this more than Apple, right? I mean, every Apple product is, is several multiples more expensive than the similar product of another provider. But customers still, even with iterative, um, you know, uh, improvements to the product, go out and buy the next iPhone, uh, you know, or the next Apple Watch or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, it's I guess it's the difference between w- being willing to pay to stay in a five-star hotel and have a five-star experience versus you know, staying in a two-star hot motel and having a two-star motel experience, you know, the choice is absolutely yours. And then you just, you're just very realistic and um, aware of what experience you're going to get as a result.
0: And it's great value compared to anything that involves equity anyway, because it's totally non 100%, yeah. exactly. So as a business, as a business venture credit or, you know, a line of credit is a lot more attractive than PE if you can, if you can get it. Agreed. Right. Let's go back in time. So I'm fascinated by this. Dafina, pitch in because I think uh, this is going to be really interesting. Um, So I just want to go back to 2015. There are Mm -hmm. 40 people. Yeah. You just got the banking license, is that right?
1: So we got the banking license March 2015.
0: Okay, and you joined in June.
1: I was seconded in June. Or as actually, I was. No, I should. I should clarify. So I was. I started working with Rishi and Joel in June 2015. Okay. And I was seconded later that year.
0: Okay. So when you turn up, you've got a banking license, 40 employees, but no book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where the hell do you start?
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I think, uh, well, I should probably go even further back in time than that, which is that I'm uh, the daughter of an entrepreneur. So, um, you know, my mum my is, uh, is an entrepreneur, um, raised four kids. And, you know, I saw firsthand the experience that she had in trying to build a business and how, you know, um, her experience with the banks was, was not always um, very positive. Um, so for me, the, the mission really resonated, perf- um, really resonated for me personally, right? The, the mission to empower the missing middle globally. Um, and so, you know, when I first met Rishi and Joel, I was sort of like, you know, I can't believe that these two, these two men have managed to build such a successful business and exit that business. And when you Google them, you can't find anything, you know, it's, uh, um, it's it was, it was quite remarkable um and so you know a lot of the, the the focus initially was actually trying to you know build that story right how how are these two people who have never worked in banking and aren't bankers how are they going to build a bank how do they know um you know what to what to offer customers um and so really telling that story and and their personal experience but also showcasing some of the you know the fantastic talent that we had within the business and um you know our chair was was Laura turner so he was um the former chair of the FSA before it became the FCA. um Cyrus um who later became our chair and he um you know he was uh, you know he was um formerly at Barclays uh, for I think fifteen years or so. so you know, again, kind of bringing out the the big guns when needed, um building that uh, you know building that foundation and getting those messages really honed in so. What is it that we want to be known for? What makes us different genuinely? How can we make sure that if we're going out and telling this, that, the, you know, the promise, um, you know, we live up to that promise. Um, and then building those relationships with journalists, right? So um, finding out, okay, in this case, it was sort of, you know, the banking reporters, the banking editors, um, those writing about enterprise or business, um, really trying to build those those relationships so that when the time came that we did have some deals to talk about or some customers who were willing to to be case studies or do PR, you know the journalist wasn't hearing about hearing from you for the first time. That they actually already understood the business. They knew, you know, what you offer, and um, they know what makes you different. And then you could just go in and say, right, someone's someone's actually come to us and and borrowed some money, and and here's, uh, you know, here's an example. And I remember very very distinctly my first, uh, PR story in terms of a deal, which was a five hundred thousand pound loan to Adventure Bar, which is a, a a sort of bar chain here in London. And the Telegraph ran it, which, you know, today, if I went to the Telegraph and said, I've got a £500,000 loan for a London business, they'd be like, Val, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you might, you might want to add another zero to that, uh, to that story and, and bring me a national brand. And then maybe we can talk. Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, the story has to evolve over time as well. And, and obviously, um, you're not always going to get, uh, you know, big pieces in the Telegraph. Um, but I think when you're in those early stages, it's very much about you know, the people, the founder story, um, the mission. Um, and then over time, what we found is, you know, that's that's great for corporate profile. It's great for securing investment, right? And Oak North is one of the, um, you know, most well-funded fintechs in Europe and having having secured over a billion dollars. But it's that what really drives deal flow are the customer stories. You know, are you going to lend to a business like mine? So a lot of our time and energy goes into publicizing those stories and um, making sure that those are in, you know, in a lot of cases trade publications which most people will never have heard of but that's the publication that everyone in that sector uh reads you know if the newsletter comes in their inbox they're going to go through it in detail
0: so so to start with it was around personalities right so you wanted to build the profile of of your founders and also obviously you had a couple of giants on the board that you could use to establish instant credibility and trust so the starting point was people was it
1: yeah i think you know the people and 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 again the sort of the, the mission right so um if you, you know, at the time we were the third bank in 150 years to secure a banking license, a UK banking license. So um, it was still quite novel. Obviously today, you know, there's there's been a couple dozen, I think, that have been granted banking licenses. Um, but again, it's sort of like, what problem are you trying to solve? Why is this a problem? You know, making sure that uh, the market understands this is, this there is a genuine funding gap here. There's a genuine problem. Um, And, you know, you hear, oh, you know, SMEs are 99.9% of all businesses and they're underserved and overlooked, but you have to actually bring that to life. Um, You know, and I think Rishi and Joel's personal story, the fact that they were that they are entrepreneurs, not bankers, um, was something that that really resonates and meant that, you know, going back to speaking the same language, you know, we speak the same language as uh, the businesses and the borrowers who come to us.
2: And if we look at your investor base. How much of a game changer was actually getting the likes of SoftBank on board in terms of your media profile?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the halo effect, we definitely, uh, you know, we definitely um, felt that. And I think uh, it did, you know, it did put us on a a different level sort of publicity wise. Um, You know, again, we are we are quite different to a lot of the um, SoftBank uh, portfolio businesses, right? I mean, we're profitable. I think at the time we were their first um, UK fintech uh, investment um, but you know they've been incredibly supportive, as as have all of our investors. Um, you know, not just financially, obviously, but actually in terms of the advice and the expertise that they bring to the table. Um, you know, especially through through periods like um, you know like the the last two years that we've gone through. You know, and and they do a lot of events where they're sort of, I mean, actually I've I've been to a couple where they bring sort of the the marketing or the comms people together, and you can sort of hear the experiences of others. And once they were at the stage where Oak North is now versus maybe a 30 billion valuation or they've gone from, you know, 800 people to 8000 people. And, and then that comes with a whole range of internal comms uh, challenges. Right. Um, and and your whole approach and, and the, you know, going from a private company to a public company and all of the learning that has to happen internally. Right. Because, you know, people have to suddenly understand what does insider trading mean? And, uh, you know, you you have to um you know your whole dynamic and, and relationship with the media changes, right? Because, um, you know the days of exclusives become very difficult when you're when you're a public company. Um, so you know certain promises that you could make previously, um, you know, no longer apply. And I think, um, that's something that that uh, you know is 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 great to sort of hear the experience from from other businesses. You know, I, I don't know if we if we will go public, if that will be the the route that Oak North takes, but um, you know, certainly learning from other um you know other teams and individuals who've who've kind of been through the journey is is really exciting
0: I think that's another really interesting question particularly you know do you stay private or do you go public from my own experience having having worked in a public company I can see you know the mentality where you want as many reasons as possible not to go public because that level of disclosure can be a nightmare and also there are so many things that you're just not allowed to do
1: but I think as well you know kind of to that to that point um right no matter where you list uh you have sort of the the quiet period um you know where you where you're not allowed to do any marketing and that's where pr and comms becomes so incredibly important because it's about the relationships that you've built up with those journalists that will really come you know come to life there right i mean you're it's the journalists who are going to be writing about you in that period once you've made you know you you've, you've sort of marked your intention to list you're not allowed to proactively go out with anything you're at the mercy of what the press will write about you and if you've not spent any time them getting to know you they all they have is the prospectus right um uh to, to rely on um or worse if you've if you've sort of um disregarded journalists or you've not been transparent or collaborative in the past then uh, you're probably going to be in for a pretty tough time as we've seen with, with a number of businesses I think um you know that's something that that uh, every business and as I say sort of you know Going back to the very beginning, I think um, making sure you have a very solid PR and communications foundation is, is absolutely key.
2: And I think the worlds of private and public are actually converging as well because there is an expectation on private companies, even if it's not a requirement as such, to be more transparent. And again, you've led the way by being transparent in terms of your numbers where you haven't necessarily been required to.
1: Well, I think that's also where being a UK company right it's it's very interesting because obviously in the US you don't have to do that as a private business um sort of transparency is built in um, and because you have to do so much reporting as a bank um, to the regulators um you sort of you know you sort of have a lot of that great very strong corporate governance in place which I think um you know if you were to go public um you know would, would serve you very well versus a company that's been you know private and has been um, fully private um, and hasn't necessarily had to be as transparent. So um, yes, definitely, uh, definitely a, a good thing, I would say, and um, uh, a blessing for any, any UK business that wants to list here. Yeah.
0: So, so what I'm hearing and what I find fascinating, if I'm going to think about takeaways that listeners can take and apply to their businesses, you guys have a really interesting approach because I don't think I've come across a more modern business. You've blazed a trail wherever you've gone with you know, your use of AWS for your for core banking systems, launching a bank when you're not bankers. So you're mm-hmm. uber modern in many ways, yet your approach to growth and marketing and communications is kind of old-fashioned, yeah. reassuringly old-fashioned. It's get the product right, get the reputation right, build trust and encourage word of mouth. So I think many other business would have had extraordinarily hardworking and super expensive performance marketing programs and and loads of wonks trying to optimize performance and all that kind of stuff and you guys have done the basics really well
1: yeah and I would say you know I guess another thing is you know focus on the value rather than the valuation right I mean um, you know we've as I say um, our offering is incredibly focused um, and that doesn't mean you can't be diversified in terms of, um, you know, products and services. But it's that you know you you know the problem that you're trying to solve. Not trying to be all things to all people. Um, you know that that has served us, uh, you know, very very well. And yeah, I think you know, sort of going again again. If you think about the the basics of PR and comms, it's all about relationships, right? I mean, um, that's probably one of the reasons why you know um, it's been so challenging the last the last couple of years with COVID, because especially I think back to. When I first started out, you know, it was so important for me to meet, meet journalists face to face and build those relationships. And it must have been incredibly hard for those people who, who are starting out in their careers who haven't had the opportunity to do that. But yeah, I mean, relationships, being transparent, being, um, you know, being honest and making sure that uh, that the product lives up to the promise. Um, absolutely. You know, it's, it's the, the fundamentals.
2: So, Valentina, how do you measure the impact that PR is having on the business?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be, you know, you always have to sort of approach it as I'm not going to be able to track every single lead because the reality is that, you know, let's say um, you host an event for, and this is more sort of broad marketing rather than PR and comms, but you host an event for a number of corporate advisors, accountants, lawyers. And then maybe not immediately, but maybe six months down the line, one of those accountants or lawyers or corporate advisors messages someone on your sales team and says, I've got a, a great business. Um, is that individual going to remember <laughs> that they first met that person at that dinner, which was arranged by the marketing or PR and comms team? Um, maybe, but you know, very likely that they, that they might not. And uh, and if the deal ends up going ahead, you know, often that will that will be logged as sort of self-generated, or you know, it's come from a um, you know an, an intermediary referral. So I think part of it is you have to work incredibly closely with your sales team. Again, that's sort of where the trust in the relationship is, is really, really key. And, um, you know, that's something that from from day one, um, you know, I mean, one of Oak North's um, values is one team. And it's sort of uh, it's definitely not sort of just <laughs> decoration on a, on a corporate profile page. It's actually genuinely what we what we live within the business. Um, and a big part of that is, you know, having those very honest conversations. And if it's not clear from um, the data where the leaders come from, then, you know, making sure that you actually spend the time to find out. And then obviously, there are a number of leads that you can absolutely track with one hundred percent certainty that came from that particular um article or that particular um, PR or comms effort whether that's because there was a a backlink in the article and you can follow their journey through your website and you can see what happened or where when they were filling out the form on the website that you know when you ask them where did you first hear about us and they say the Sunday times and maybe they don't even specify Sunday times maybe they just say a news article but you can do you know you can see which which uh News came out around that time and you can, you can sort of figure it out. So I think, you know, a lot of it is measurable and obviously, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to kind of get in front of, uh, you know, the, the CEO every, uh, you know, every year and be able to say, this is what um, impact we've had, unless I had some tangible numbers to show for it. So there's always a, this is what I can absolutely say with certainty has been delivered by the team, um, and the team's efforts. And then this is where, as you can see, it's a bit more of a, of a gray area, but, um, you know, we've absolutely kind of um, played our part in that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's sort of going into it with, you know, making sure that you've, you know, on whether it's on the forms, whether it's on HubSpot, whether it's on Salesforce, whatever marketing technology you might be using to track leads. making sure that you you have that in place, having very honest conversations with your sales team and making sure you're working very closely with them. Otherwise, you'll always be seen as a cost center. Um and then having the caveat that there's always going to be a portion of leads that unfortunately you just can't track that may, may, may slip through the cracks. But then what you get is sort of anecdotal feedback where, you know, someone on the sales team or the debt finance team, they close a deal and the first call they make is to you to say, I want to PR this deal. Then you know that, uh, <laughs> you know, they probably didn't, wouldn't want to spend time doing that if it, if it hadn't yielded results in the past.
0: Wow, Valentina, thank you so much. That that's just an amazing interview, and and, and I think I speak for both Dafina and I me mean when I say that really was enjoyable to listen to.
2: Absolutely, and uh, and a great growth story. And uh...
0: Do you know what I find fascinating is when when we devised this the concept for this podcast, I thought we were going to be talking about marketing. Yet the very first guest we come in is talking about comms, and the whole strategy, the whole growth strategy, started with communications, not marketing.
2: That's what we say to our clients.
0: Is, is that what you say? <laughs> so, if you don't know, Dafina is managing director, okay? joint managing director of Green Target, which is one of the City of London's finest communications consultancies. So, if Dafina says it's true, it is. Now, on that note, Dafina, we heard a lot to date from, um, from Valentina. Um, if you were going to draw three things out that you'd give as advice to other companies that want to be leaders, what would those be?
2: Well, I think there were some three really useful takeaways from this conversation, which can be applied to to many of these um, emerging businesses in the financial services or fintech space. So, one would be to get your product right early on, and uh, you know, stay focused because I think the temptation with so much opportunity out there is to try and expand your product and your services early on. So, get your product right and and get your messaging right from the beginning. Think about the board and the advisors quite early on. And uh, think about the credibility that they're lending to the business, because I think that's as, as Oak North has demonstrated, has been very important to them. And finally, I think in the financial industry, as we know, banking money is all about trust. So if you can be transparent and if you can be transparent, both in terms of your, your communications, but also in terms of how you build relationships early on, then that will certainly serve you in the long term.
0: Thank you for listening. That is the end of today's show. If you would like to subscribe to us, please do go to your favorite podcast outlet and you will find us there. If you want to be on the show, my name is Dom Hawes. Look me up on LinkedIn, connect, and I would love to talk to you. This show is put together by Selby Anderson. We find and unlock hidden value. And the show's recorded at Turnmill Studios, which you can find at turnmillstudios.co.uk. See you next time.